For more shows like this, visit us at CosmicPotatoNetwork.com. Somebody's favorite radio program. You ready? I was born ready. All righty Hold on to your butt. For more than five years, they've been entertaining you with their discussions on classic films, Marvel, Star Wars, and more. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now, in a time of gatekeepers and toxic fandom. They are waving the banner of inclusion, opening the conversation, and letting all perspectives be heard. Welcome to the party, pal! Welcome to Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. Fascinating. Keep the change, you filthy animal. The following podcast was recorded during At Home Con 2020. All of the panels mentioned here can be found on the Cosmic Potato Network Facebook group. All right, so we're going to be talking about Stephen King adaptations, the movie and TV adaptations of all of the works of uh, Stephen King. And I'm going to jump back in. Y'all keep on talking. Okay. Some of those things are good, and some of those things are really, really bad. So we'll... Uh, so we'll talk about what our favorite ones are, what the uh, ones that we loved, you know, the ones that we love to hate and the ones that we just hate, you know, and, <laughs> and there's still, you know, I'm a Stephen King fan. And when I look at this list, there's tons and tons of them that I've never seen. And then there's a lot of stuff that people, a lot of people don't even know was based on Stephen King stuff. Like I know that the Shawshank Redemption was based on a Stephen King work, but a lot of people don't because they don't associate that kind of that kind of writing with Stephen King, they think he, all he does is horror. Right. Most of the stuff that I really like from Stephen King was not even horror. You know, I, I like his other stuff better, really. So, uh, so, Chris, uh, what what would you say is your favorite Stephen King adaptation, or just one that you really do like? Well, um, it's going to be sort of a deep pull, but I remember the first Stephen King movie that I really, really enjoyed was Firestarter. And um, I don't know what it was about it, but just something about the movie. Maybe it was because it was Drew Barrymore's journey in it. I'd seen her in E.T. And she was, you know, a kid actor, but she was a good kid actor. Mm-hmm. And I think that she did a good job of carrying the film and I liked the father daughter dynamic in it. And, um, I liked, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, I got, I haven't seen it in years, but George C. Scott was just amazing in that movie. He was such an amazing piece of crap in that movie. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought if I got to think back to Stephen King adaptations, the first one that really piqued my interest was fire sort of followed closely by the dead zone. And those came out. Do you have years on those? Uh, I have the Wikipedia page pulled up. Let me. The uh, only reason I ask is, I feel like I was younger when I saw the Dead Zone, so it was more scary to me. The Dead like, Zone came I, out in uh, 1983. Okay, and, and Firestarter started? came out in 1984. Right. So, so. yeah. So the, I was 13, and then 14. Yeah. So I, I more than likely saw a Firestarter in the theater, and. I, I read the book years later, years later, and I liked the book just as much. So, 
Yeah, that, that's one thing, one inconsistency that you'll find with Stephen King stuff is that Stephen King, I really like, I, I, I like him as a writer and I really like him as a person too, but he's kind of a whore. <laughs> because <laughs> because he will he will sign off on just about anything and there are adaptations out there that are nothing like his work and then there are some that are pretty faithful to his work you know yeah, and you know I don't know how much unless he's contracted himself to write the script which he did sometimes in the 80s which he proved that he's not a screenwriter he's an author yeah but he doesn't have much control over how stuff is adapted. What I've seen him do, though, uh, especially since I really started paying attention to it more with 112263 and Castle Rock, no matter what the critical reception is of the adaptations, he usually is behind them, promoting them, saying they're really good, saying he's very happy with it, even though you know there's no way in hell he can be very happy with it. In my opinion. Uh, I, I could be wrong. Maybe he's just happy that it's giving him a broader audience. Who knows? I noticed that with uh, when they did the TV version of Under the Dome. Back in the 90s uh, and late 80s, they used to do... It's like every year, almost, you got a miniseries that was based on something from Stephen King. We had The Stand, we had The Tommyknockers, you know, and it was, it was a pretty regular thing. Well, now, you don't really do miniseries... Uh, films anymore they do these limited series like you know one hour episodes weekly for 10 weeks or whatever and they did that with under the dome but then they told the entire story that he wrote i think there was a glitch um yeah you froze yeah. i'm sorry if i spoke over you no that's fine they, they did the entire story that he wrote but then they decided to keep going and he did some press before the show started uh, about how much he loved it and everything, but when they kept going, you didn't really hear anything from him anymore because they're just going off and doing their own thing, and they're not even mm-hmm. they're not even following the book anymore. You know, Scott, what about you? What's your favorite Stephen King story adaptation? Uh, it it feels a little bit like I'm uh, giving just you know, like like I'm being basic with this one because uh, it seems maybe too easy or too common, but I. I really do. I always forget how much I like Shawshank Redemption until the occasion comes where it's like, hey, you know, I haven't seen it in a while. I got some work to do around the house. I'm going to throw in my Blu-ray of Shawshank Redemption and have that playing in the background. Yeah, it doesn't say in the background. I'll give it maybe 15 minutes and then I'm sitting down and I'm watching the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a movie that sucks you in, boy. Yeah. yeah. And, and then between viewings, you forget how good it is mm. until you decide, you know, I'm going to watch it again. And then through the entire runtime, you're just just enraptured by it. I don't know what it is about that movie. It's some kind of magic. And, you know, the, I think watchable. the most the most magical thing about it is that it stands up to multiple <laughs> viewings. There's no parts that, you know, you could see it a hundred times. And I've seen it a hundred times. And still there are no seams showing in that film. Yeah. You know, it always seems as genuine the first time you watch it as uh, every time you watch it as the first time that you watched it. I don't know yeah. what it is. Maybe it's Morgan Freeman. Maybe it's everything. Everything yeah, seems together it's, so well. It's the acting. It's yeah. It's also the collaboration of King and Darabont. You know, they they. I usually like it when they get together and do stuff. Um, and I, I have to. I don't know as much about uh, the the mechanics of movie making as some other people, but I have to assume that a whole lot of credit 
and he probably doesn't get enough has to go to um, well, he or she, I don't know who it was, but whoever edited that film, the, the pace of it is it, it never rushes by, but I can't think of any moments in the film that drag for me. There's never a part where I think, Oh, it's this part. I'll wait for this scene to, to end. And then we get back to the good stuff. It's all good stuff. And it all goes by at such a steady pace that you don't even notice how much time is going by. It, it takes you for, for such a steady, stable, and enjoyable ride all the way through. It doesn't drag, and it doesn't rush. Yeah. Uh, so Sherman is on here. He says that he, he really likes the Langoliers with Bronson Pinchot. <laughs> the effects are outdated. Um, and that's a thing. Some of the, a lot of these movies, uh, like uh, the Langoliers was a two-part miniseries. But that was was that a whole novel or was that it was it was a novella in four past midnight. That's what I thought. So they took a yeah. novella and made a three hour movie out of it. You know, uh, well four <laughs> hours on the air. You know, um, what, what, was Shawshank a novella or was that a short? Shawshank, story? Shawshank was a, a novella. Was a novella in different seasons. Different seasons. And it, yeah. Someone just put it up. It's also Stand by Me was in that one as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Stand and by they Me even did. Stand by Me was a story called The Body. And uh, Shawshank was a story called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. And they were both only about 100 pages long. That that book also had Apt Pupil, which has been adapted a couple of times mm-hmm. in, into movies. A couple of times. I only knew about the I one. Think there was t- I think there was two adaptations mm-hmm. of Apt Pupil, but I'm not. I have to look that up. And I'm trying to remember the fourth one, and I can't. That might have been adapted, too. But I thought that Apt Pupil, when I read different seasons, I thought that Apt Pupil was the best story. But it is by far the least of the adaptations. So that's another weird, weird thing because mm-hmm. the body, of course, Stand by Me was it was a phenomenon when it came out. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, Shawshank, we just you know we can't stop gushing about it. So that pupil was just like uh, it was. It wasn't a very apt movie. Yeah, it was. There's it, my pun. There it is. <laughs> it <laughs> I was, found it. I found it, was, it, and I wasn't afraid to use it. It was nice. It was fine. I expected more from a film that starred Ian McKellen, but what can you do? No, there was only yeah, there was only one film adaptation. There was a a full scale stage adaptation uh, in 1995. And I remember reading about that. There was some kind of controversy around it, it right? Uh, let's was see. It the high school thing, or that's all it says is that they did a full scale stage adaptation of the novella, and it was adapted and directed for the stage by Christopher Johnson. Yeah, that's all it says. Um, and they did a, the Family Guy did an episode that was a parody of the novella. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't remember seeing that. Um, let's see. I think. My favorite, I mean, uh, Shawshank Redemption is definitely on the list. Uh, the Green Mile is is definitely one of my favorites because not only the the book, the way the the way that they did the book because they released it in a serial version, and I was working at a bookstore at the time, so uh, I would usually get to get a copy of it a few days before we actually put it out on the on the floor. Uh, mm-hmm. They released it in six six parts, I think. And he would come out with a different with one part like every two months for right. a year. So it took you the entire year to to read this book, and yeah. then uh, and then the movie 
is I just think that's a fantastic movie. I love it. And it's three hours long and I I barely feel the length until it gets towards the end. I think that the end kind of drags when they get to the part where they show Tom Hanks' character when he's in the nursing home, you know, and he's played by the guy that played the preacher on Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> Reverend Alden. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and um, and all of that. But um, I read, I was reading, doing some research for the show, and I found out that Shaquille O'Neal was supposed to play John Coffey. And uh, that probably, that would have been a fiasco, I think. <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan is that character. And he uh, he met Darabont through Bruce Willis when they were filming Armageddon. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, that's, that's one, of, one of my favorite movies, much less a Stephen King adaptation, is The Green Mile, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I saw it when it when it first came out, but I don't think I've watched it since then. I I remember being being very impressed by it, but I I can't remember much of it from, uh, from back then. They used to show it, and like annually, it would come on like network television for a good five six years after it came out. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen it in a while though. We revisited it um, shortly before the Castle Rock TV podcast uh, came to an end. It was one of the last things we did. As a matter of fact, I don't think we ever got into our Shawshank show. We were slated to do Shawshank next, so I had rewatched the movie and read the book, which I had never read before. And then um, Skip pulled the curtain. He just said that he couldn't do it anymore. So I never got to talk about Shawshank on mic. The one thing that I will say is it was such a good adaptation that it ruined the book for me because when I read the book, <laughs> there was nothing new to find there. I mean, they had taken every great part of the book and put it on screen in a magnificent way. So, I mean, it was one of the best adaptations ever done as far as uh, translating a novel to the screen. Mm-hmm. You know? Sherman, I don't think that any of that controversy about that pupil had to do with Brian Singer. I think it had to do more with the Nazi character and the <laughs> um, uh, murder, the, the a teenager that was murdering homeless people and, st- <laughs> and stuff like that. And but. I don't think, um, I, and if the controversy question is uh, about the many other controversies uh, that have popped up around Brian Singer, um, I think those broke after Apt Pupil was was oh, made yeah. and released, and yeah. after that was already long past. So, um, Apt Pupil was already well in the rear view before any of Apt Brian Pupil Singer. came out in like '98, and I don't remember hearing any of that Brian Singer stuff until after like Superman Returns. And, and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. it was it was definitely in, into the 2000s. I remember Apt Pupil hit video uh, when I was working at the video store, so I was able to to catch it that way, but. Uh, yeah, Brian Singer was not being um, uh, scrutinized that way until m- several years after. Raven said, "Raven's question." She said, "Didn't Shawshank bomb at the box office?" I don't remember if it did. I was a teenager when that came out, and the first time I saw it was when it was on like Showtime or something like that. The thing with Stephen King movies is nobody looks for them to be the audience mega hits that everybody flocks to you you catch them on cable <laughs> it's yeah. not that they're not successful a lot of them are but none of them are a star wars well you know it got a lot of good play that is true it it, it is that, I think, the exception it was probably the biggest one of his movies um in recent memory 
Uh, they were hyping them big in the eighties. A Stephen King movie, a Stephen oh, King sure. movie, yeah. and they were all garbage. Every last one. Of them. <laughs> so the fact that um, it, the pendulum has swung swung back to theatrical release for his stuff, because you're right, Sean. They were doing bad TV miniseries after bad TV miniseries, segueing into bad TV series, limited series. Yeah, of which you know we're intimately familiar. Um, the fact that you can now look forward to going to see a Stephen King movie in the theater and thinking you might get a decent movie is kind of a relatively recent phenomenon <laughs> in my, in my experience. I used to, I, of course now when I was watching these miniseries, I was a teenager and what I called good television was probably not really that good. I haven't seen How most of them you, since. I've only seen the Tommy Knockers one time, and that was uh, when it was on television originally. Um, and the Stand, I think I've seen two or th- maybe three times. But it's such a long movie; it's hard to go back and rewatch it. But I remember the Stand. I remember liking the first two parts more than I liked the way that it ended. That's another thing about Stephen King. Is that I really like his writing. I really like his writing, but I don't always like the way he he ends his stories. We we I I, I did a podcast about the sta- uh, an episode of a podcast about the stand um, recently, and we all talked about how he he doesn't really stick the landing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and um, I never read the stand all the way through until this summer when I had. I'm sorry. Little- <laughs> a little bit of spare time and so I finished it and then we watched the miniseries and um, hmm so, well they're going to do a new version of The Stand oh, yeah. Yeah, on yeah. CBS All Access I think a new version of The Stand maybe thinking about it now I have I have bad memories connected with The Stand and I've never read it and I haven't even seen it but uh, <laughs> that's a the, bad movie. The series of the stand. <laughs> that made. If only we were you, Scott. <laughs> the long TV miniseries series that they made of the stand. Um, it was released on video and this was back in the days before DVD. So it was re- released on VHS and it was on f- spread across four VHS tapes. <laughs> To get the entire series. Yeah, yeah. You know, I still didn't watch it, but I was working at the video store. Some some kid, like, I don't know, like late teens, early 20s or something, they came in and they grabbed the stand and they come up to the counter and they they rent the, uh, the videotape of it. They rented part one. Okay, that's fine. You can come in, you're going to rent part one. That's fine. And you'll come in later on and rent the second one. Uh, an hour later, I get a phone call at the store complaining that it's not the whole thing. They only got half of it. I said, yeah, the other half was next to it. That's part one. And right next to it was labeled part two. It was literally in front of your face. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, so I'm trying to calmly explain it to the guy on the phone. And then one of his buddies behind him grabs the phone out of his hand, puts it up to his, to his face and says, you didn't tell us there was a part two, you effing N-word. <laughs> Uncensored in, in reality. And then he hung up the phone. Okay. So I put a note on the on on the computer saying, "So this is what these guys said. Don't run into them anymore." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 
uh, I want to read some of these uh, comments before they scroll away from me. But um, this is just labeled Facebook user, but this is actually that's, Jerry uh, Adair. That's right. Yeah, yeah, Jerry, Jerry Adair. She's a friend of mine. She says the the Green Mile is amazing. I think King's work about the horrors of human nature just translate better than the ones about the horrors of what's in the closet. I agree with that. Um, and then what, they're, they're more relatable that way. I she, think. I, I think that's why I like them more. I mean, Cujo is great. She even mentions later on that uh, that Cujo was uh, was not bad, and it was a disturbing movie for me. But I, I find yeah. his uh, the the more human stories to be scarier in a way. Uh, Sherman says he prefers Tim Curry's interpretation of it to Skarsgård. Stop it! Just stop. It. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 it's not—it's not against uh, Tom. Um, was it with Tim? Who, it was, was it Tom? Sherman. Tim? Sherman. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry, Sherman. I've just seen ever since um, the new It movie came out a whole backlash of some online contingent that seems to hold the miniseries in reverence, and that miniseries was a pile of shit. I watched that thing. Over again for um, for Castle Rock because we were doing all the stuff yeah. leading up to the Castle Rock series. And we found a lot to talk about and a lot to laugh about. But I don't know that you can hold it in reverence. I just don't. And Tim Curry was more campy and broad as Pennywise than scary. Yeah. So Well, it depends on who's watching. And then when I watched it, I was like 11 years old. So it scared me. Now, if I was, and my dad was, you know, my what my age now at the time, it, obviously it didn't scare him at all. Um, but I do agree that the new version is, I mean, ten million times better than that original miniseries. Yeah, the the TV miniseries I saw it when it when it first aired on TV. Yeah, uh, I, I watched it when it was broadcast, and considering my age at the time, I found it I found it disturbing. It was it was a little creepy, a little scary, nothing overwhelming, but a little scary. Last year, uh, back when I was married, we uh, watched the miniseries uh, myself, uh, my ex wife, and her son because he he was reading the book, um, and I, he he's uh, he's he's turning fourteen. Or he just turned fourteen. I I can't remember what the date is today. I, I'm. He's around fourteen. Um, and he was really enjoying the book. He saw chapter one in the theaters and said, "Well, we're waiting for your chance to go see chapter two in the theaters. Let's watch this miniseries." And it was entertaining on a whole different level because <laughs> <laughs> going back and watching it at age forty, that miniseries is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, the one thing that the miniseries has over the movies is that um, you have the right Beverly. I love Annette O'Toole's Beverly, but that, yeah. that's about it. Yeah. Um, now we had a comment that said that the the end of uh, the end of the Dark Tower killed her, or killed killed <laughs> me. Excuse me. I threw the book across the street. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the Dark Tower because they had a movie of the Dark Tower that came out a couple of years ago. And this, The Dark Tower is a series, of, a book series that I love. I read the entire series. I've only read it once. It's Stephen King's uh, magnum opus. It's his Lord of the Rings, you know. I wish you'd stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's not anywhere close to the caliber of Lord of the Rings. No, I know. It's his Lord of the Rings. For, for him, I, it's Lord I of the Rings. And he... Um, he spent so much of his life writing these books 
to make that movie <laughs> one 90 minute film <laughs> that's supposed to encompass this this story is I hadn't I was seen... very disappointed. Did they did they try to adapt the entire series? No, the they 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 adapted it wasn't even that they adapted the gunslinger. It was um it's I don't really know how to tell you they did it because they didn't adapt anything in those books. They took aspects from all of it and put it in this one but the only characters in it were you had Roland and you had Jake and then you had the 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 man in black. Man in black. And um it's like it's like a continuation of the books because it's almost like you're seeing something that happened after the last book because in the last book, spoilers, in the last book they kind of insinuate that everything is kind of starting over for him, for the main character. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be continuously doing this uh everything that we read, he's going to be doing this over and over every time he finds it's the dark tower. Good. Yeah, every time he finds the dark tower, it starts all over. And like the movie was almost like it was supposed to be another right it was it was yeah. another turn of the wheel right right I think that's how king that's how he interpreted it. I didn't like that though I wanted an adaptation and but for so long they were supposed to be making a TV adaptation on HBO and Ron Howard was attached to it for mm-hmm. some time um what I had read it was it was gonna be in conjunction with with a movie or or multiple movies like. Yeah. They would start out with a movie, and then that continues on television, and then that would um, uh, that would slingshot you back to the theater for another movie, which would then be picked up once again on television. Yeah, seems like a an idea that will never work because Marvel kind of tried it, and yeah, with Agents of Shield, yeah, and then they just yeah, decided but, we're not going to tie this together anymore. <laughs> I think that there was a there was a disconnect between the TV side of Marvel and the movie side of Marvel. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. So absolutely. that might add something to do with it as well. I mean, there were people that were vested in not keeping them, you know, mingling them. Mm-hmm. And you guys were talking yesterday about who we'd like to see in the MCU going forward, and everybody uh, said Daredevil. Jessica Jones came up too, but uh, I was I was listening in. I still think that it could work if there was a concerted effort to do it. But it seems like with a lot of the properties that we love, the film side is separate from the TV side. So there's not a lot of synergy going on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even uh, what we have in, in, in the latest crossover, the crisis crossover, they brought Ezra Miller, Ezra Miller, is that his yeah. name, in yeah. as Barry to meet Barry. So it, it's not that it can't be done. I just think that there's been a lack of coordination and or will mm-hmm. on the part and, of a lot of people. And the only, the only way they got uh, Ezra to show up in the crisis crossover is um, the, the folks who are working to get uh, Ezra's flash movie made. They reached out to the producers of the, of the CW shows and said, Hey, is there any way that we can get Ezra in here for, for a cameo as, as the movie version of the flash? Mm-hmm. And they'd already filmed everything for the crossover. They had, they had finished filming, and um, Mark Guggenheim, the producer, said, "Sure, we'll make it work." And then he went back to to his people and said, "So we got to get uh, Ezra into this somewhere." That's like, after he was done dancing on the table, saying, "Yes, yes, yeah, yes." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it was rather than a big collaborative effort, it was the the movie side actually going to the television people and said, "Hey, can we get in on this for a little bit? 
which you don't usually see. Usually it's the TV people are saying, hey, can you help us out? You know, maybe pay us a little lip service. Maybe well, I mean, you know, let anything, the movie-going audience know that we still exist. And they the say, DCEU yeah. sure needs a shot in the arm more than the uh, the Flowerverse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> really. Joe, what's your favorite Stephen King adaptation? Or one that you just, like, really like? Uh... Stand by me. Yeah. Hey, that's a, that's that's a good one. Number two would be Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> wow, we did a drunk commentary about that one, boy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stand by me is a great movie, and it's a good. It's like a good coming of age movie, and it's another example that Stephen King does really well when he's not trying to scare you. You know, he's just trying to tell a good story, and it was based on another novella that was only like. 100 yeah. pages long or something like that. Now, my my wife's favorite uh Stephen King uh book is uh is Gerald's Game because she said it is the scariest thing she has ever read. And hmm. they did a live action version of that and she said, "No, I'm good." The I'm Netflix the Netflix movie of Gerald's Game that came out a couple of years ago, I really liked that movie. I thought they did a, a I never read the book, so I can't tell you how faithful of an adaptation it is. But I did like the movie with Carla. Gu- Gu- what's her name? Carla, Gu- Carla Gugino. Yeah. Carla Gugino. I say it's different every time, but I love her just the same. Yeah. <laughs> Always have. Yeah. yeah she but probably it, said it's different every time, too. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, it was, it was her and Bruce Greenwood. Bruce huh? Green, yeah, Bruce Greenwood, but his, I mean, spoiler, it happens at the beginning of the movie. He dies like 10 minutes into the movie. That's what Gerald's game is about. I mean. Yeah, that's the whole premise, right? Yeah, yeah. But he's he's uh, Kelvin Captain Pike, so he at least gets a mention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he does, I mean, he does have a few scenes after his death scene, because she has some flashbacks and she has some visions and things like that, so. Uh, Raven says Gerald's game is trash. <laughs> Which, the novel or, or the I don't know. Movie. She's talking about the novel or the or the movie, but mm. um, and, and Sherman says Gugino. So I guess I was right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to go there anyway. <laughs> so one thing that I've realized about myself in the last uh, few years, uh, since I've been talking about movies a lot on podcasts and things. Is that uh, I'm not? I really don't like Stanley Kubrick. Uh, <laughs> for for a long time, wow. I for a long time I, mean, I thought you, I j- go ahead. Do you do you mean movies or personally? Well, I mean I don't know the guy, or I didn't know the guy. He's dead now. No, but. no, I mean, but <laughs> some people have personalities who you just don't like. I've heard. I mean, person. I've heard. I've heard horror stories about him. Per, okay, about I'm, who he is, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, for a long time, I watched The Shining, and I didn't really care for it, and I love that book. I love The Shining, and then I read the book, and then I watched the movie, and this was years after it came out, obviously. Um, I didn't care for the movie. But then, as time went on, I realized that I've never seen a Stanley Kubrick movie that I really liked. I don't really care for 2001. I don't really care for... Uh, I mean, Clockwork Orange was okay, but it's... For me, it was just uh, like a confusing mess, and uh, Full Metal Jacket. I've never seen Full Metal Jacket. I've seen That's... I've seen pieces of it, but I've never watched it all the way through. 
Eyes Wide Shut I thought was horrible. I love that movie. <laughs> I, lo- I love that movie. It's funny that you when you talk about Kubrick because um, a lot of the stuff that he's done has been adaptations because and I've read them all. I read The Shining and um, Kubrick's movie takes some of the kernels of the book, but it's, Stephen King famously hates it. We all know that. Yeah. But then, then he got and championed that that abortion of a miniseries starring Stephen Weber, which was just unwatchable. I was just going to ask about that because that one yeah. I never saw it and. Uh, my understanding is that Stephen King was more behind that than he was behind the movie. So I was yeah. curious. Well, he was in that, was, yeah. <laughs> well, he was he was behind the miniseries because he always thought that Kubrick uh, just butchered the book. He hated Kubrick's take. And I don't blame him because in the book, Jack is a family man who, you know, because of alcoholism, just goes on off the deep end. And the hotel drives him crazy. Um in in Kubrick's, I've I've said this long said this, Nicholson in Kubrick's version, Jack was already crazy. He just needed the slightest push, because he was already psychotic from the beginning. Just the way Nicholson played him, he mm. just was always a very uncomfortable figure to be around. Like when is this guy going to lash out and kill him? Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't even take the Overlook to do that. The Overlook was just incidental. It would have happened anyway with that Jack. He was already in my opinion. ready to snap. Yeah. Yeah, he just needed, like I said, the slightest push. So I, I can understand why 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 King didn't like Kubrick's take on it. And then, of course, all the, you know. Uh, but the thing is, I love that movie. I, when I watched that dumb documentary. It wasn't dumb. The Room 231, I think it's called, where they have yeah. all the weird conspiracy theories and fan theories. So it's a rabbit hole I've gone down quite a bit. Um, that being said, that that the miniseries went the other way. It was too indulgent of King and overlong with just flabby scenes that about characters that you didn't care and the worst Danny in film history. I mean, <laughs> Mickey Mouse would have been a better Danny ears and all. It was just so anyway, I, I don't want to hijack. With and it's my a, it's an, it's, a, it's another example of a mini series that I liked the first, how many, that was three parts. I think I liked the first part and didn't really care for the way that ended um because they changed the ending of the book or they added to it you know they added to it yeah um now i do enjoy in ready player one the the whole sequence of uh the kubrick version of the shining that they (laughs) that they did instead of what did they do in the book uh they did war games in the book and instead of doing war games they turned it into the shining which i i thought was pretty cool i like that um. Somebody else. Can somebody give me another. Let's talk about the ones that that that, that we just love to hate. What's one that you know is bad but you like it anyway? Uh, <laughs> lawnmower man. A lawnmower man for Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't what do you, know. It's just it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, one, it, it's ridiculous to say that it's based on a Stephen King story because it's absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I, when I read that story and then I saw, first of all, I said, how they, I, I thought it was an amazing story. I love that story, but for, it's like six pages long. Mm-hmm. And wasn't the movie about like AI? Uh, absolutely yeah, the, nothing to it, do it, at all except in name. The, the it's, like they about, sold, it's yeah. about VR. and um, oh, and, VR, and, thank you. That's what I meant. Yeah, ex- yeah. Accelerated intelligence and VR. Uh, whereas the original short story of Lawnmower Man is about a guy who, at, 
because surprise, surprise, I haven't read the original. Probably wouldn't take too long. I just haven't taken the time no, 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 no. to do it. You can um, read it. Yeah, it wouldn't take that long. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, it's about a guy who uh, mows lawns by getting naked and eating the grass. Yes. And then yeah, we, get, we, we get um, uh, James Bond as a um, as a scientist who's developing virtual reality. And that, then pardon he, me, that's 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 Mr. Remington Steele to you. Oh, Thank oh, you. Fair, <laughs> fair enough. You got me. Um, and he's he finds a, a simple groundskeeper and says, you know what? I'm going to give him some drugs and I'm going to put him in some VR and I'm going to turn him into a super genius. And he ends up making him also telekinetic. How does that work? I don't know. <laughs> but it does. And then he downloads his own consciousness into cyberspace and rings all the phones. And then you get... <laughs> As you do. <laughs> and then you get an even worse sequel, uh, which even Jeff Fahey wouldn't come back for. <laughs> and if Jeff Fahey won't come back... <laughs> <laughs> but but the... the Virtual reality was the thing at the time, but the special effects were not ready yet. And they weren't. They were not ready for a while. And Lawnmower Man went all in. And I appreciate that they gave it a shot. Just that part. That's, but who? Yeah, the the Max Hedrum commercials were better (laughs) than a lot of what you saw. At the time, I. I I saw it and didn't think anything of it, but now that I've seen today how people can make special make virtual reality look like something, I, I go, oh, that's what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's funny you ask, like, what which ones do we love to hate? And I I don't think I've ever found that middle ground with King. Anyway, it's funny. It, I see on the side here all the comments reminding me of things that I completely forgot about. There are so many adaptations that you're going to have to remind me of of so many that uh, otherwise I'm not going to remember if I loved it and hated it and love hated. Yeah, this I, one says thinner. That was the one I was going to bring up was thinner. <laughs> yeah, I, and I, thinner. That's, that's what I'd forgotten about un, un, until Jerry mentioned it. And yeah. again, that was another one that uh, I think that one came out while I was at the video store. So I would see the trailer for that like twice an hour. For eight hours straight, <laughs> just moving the videotapes around, getting things ready. Then you look up at the screen, and there's that that old gypsy. Because you've got a guy that's obviously in a in a really bad fat suit with bad makeup, because they need to make him thinner through the movie. You know, he does not look like a fat guy. You know, he looks like a guy coming out of Weird Al Yankovic's fat. Yeah, yeah. Looks like the ma- the makeup's ready to just drip off of him at any second. Um, go ahead, Chris. You were saying something. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, I'm just trying to. It wasn't thinner. Like that's almost like a cash grab for King because wasn't that one that he wrote writings Richard Bachman? I think so. so. It's like they just they just they just dug into whatever he had lying around in his drawer of stuff that he didn't really want to sell or maybe that he wasn't able to sell writings of Richard Bachman and would just put them out. So. Wasn't Green Mile Bachman also? No, the Green Mile was King. Writing is King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was that's the one that came out King. in the serialized in the serialized versions. It's funny you say that because, um, as far as the caliber of the writing, I asked when um, I don't remember how it came up, but when I first met Ginger Buchanan, who does the Quantum Leap novel series, or did anyway, 
we got onto the topic of Stephen King, and at that point, I wasn't reading King anymore. And um, I said, what's the best book that you read this year? And she said, The Green Mile by Stephen King. And I said, wow, I haven't read King in so long because I just thought he became too self-indulgent. And she said, the reason why she thinks it was great is because he had to do it and get them out every two months. So he didn't have time to dick around. He didn't have time to do what he would normally do, would maybe spend too much time, put too much in, make it too flabby. It just had to be go, go, go. The writing is tighter. The story is tighter. Get out the next edition. Because what the, you said, they came out every two months, right? And she thinks that that exercise really helped hone his voice in those books. So, yeah, um, yeah that, that was not Bach. That was all King and King maybe coming back to form, um, yeah. according to you know, some of the conversations I had about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't read it until last year. So, Yeah. Um, yeah, and he even admitted that he got some of the historical stuff wrong uh, when he was writing it because he was writing it so fast and and didn't really research as much as much as he probably should have. And uh, so when he finished it and he came out with, they put it all in one volume, uh, he had a forward. He's like, yeah, some of this stuff is, you know, there's a there's a uh, reference to a dirty cartoon that's got Popeye in it, and Popeye didn't even exist in the time period that, they, that the story took place in. Stuff like that, you know. So, um, now one of my favorite Stephen King books is 11-22-63. And that's one of the first ones that they turned into a TV series instead of doing a miniseries. <laughs> and Chris did a whole podcast about that about that series. <laughs> You've heard me talk about that enough. I'll set this one out just out of deference. No, it's just that that, that story is is so great. Now I, I'll admit I enjoyed the series, but it would have been better as a movie than a TV show. Um, it, honestly, it depends on how they adapted it. It could have been an amazing TV series, but they just screwed the pooch. They did an, an awful adaptation. The good thing was that we were never at a loss of great content for the podcast when that when that show was on. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been thinking a lot about eleven twenty two sixty three lately because we're up to the Lee Harvey Oswald of Quantum Leap on the Quantum Leap podcast. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I've been revisiting sort of all of that stuff. And it's dredging up a lot of memories. So maybe I haven't been talking about it here. I just feel like I've been talking about it a lot lately, and I don't want to filibuster. But uh, you know, it's just it's just weird how how it's come back into my life. Well, no, in this, these last several weeks, Scott and Joe, know. have y'all ever seen Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three, the series? That was uh, was that uh, was that Hulu? Yes, yes, it was Hulu in two thousand sixteen. Yeah, yeah, Brandon, yeah, I, we I, talked about I, Under I, the Dome for a minute. Uh, a little while ago. Go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry. I, I, I saw the build up for it um, as it was coming, but I I never got a chance to see it. Okay. Yeah, don't I, worry about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm with Scott. I read everything uh, leading up to it and didn't have Hulu at the time, and then just didn't feel the urge to. I mean, I since now I've got it, but. And I can watch it tonight if I wanted to. Yeah. A cool thing, but well, you got to uh, watch Captain America tonight. So, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, of course. But uh, but yeah, it it didn't. It's not one of my favorite Stephen King things, so I didn't seek out the live action version. I, I tell you what, the one good thing that I can recommend from that miniseries is Daniel Weber's portrayal as Oswald. He was the whole freaking show. He was so good. 
as Oswald. I still say sharpshooter every time I think about it because that was <laughs> what he said right before he shot Kennedy. And um, it's unfortunate because Jake and Sadie were such great characters in the book. Did you read the book, Joe or yeah. Scott? Yeah. No, Scott didn't read the book. Well, Jake and Sadie are great characters, and Sadie uh, came across. The other good part is, I forget her name, the one who played Sadie in the adaptation was, uh. was really good. She's a blonde, blonde lady. Um, and But James Franco was just Franco. It's just Franco being Franco, phoning mm-hmm. it in, not really being, you know, it seems like he was thinking about other stuff half the time. There was even a scene between him and... Um, uh, I interviewed this woman too. Anyway, one of the teachers, the black, the black character, basically the black character, um, where she's telling him that she's dying of cancer, and they digitally put a tear rolling down Franco's cheek to give it some kind of emotion <laughs> because he's just sitting there like a block of wood. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that shows you where they were with that, and they made some very bad choices with that adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> they did. Uh, so when that came out, there was kind of a a surge of Stephen King stuff coming on TV because they had Mr. Mercedes. It came right after that. Castle Rock came a couple years after that, which is not an adaptation. Um, and then uh, the 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 Mist. The Mist is a TV series, and it's awful. Don't watch it. But <laughs> the adaptate the film adaptation that Darabont did is great <laughs> everybody loves that i love that because the end okay i'm have you guys seen it i've seen yeah. it mm-hmm. i've seen it in color and in black and white i'm gonna uh-huh. i'm gonna spoil it so at the end which it didn't happen in the original story right they can't they can't get out of this mist so they basically let uh, Thomas Jane's character kill all of them, including the child. And then, like, as soon as he shoots the last bullet, the mist clears, and the and the <laughs> National Guard's coming <laughs> through, and they're <laughs> and they clear everything. <laughs> yeah, it was like if you'd waited thirty more seconds. Not only just like standing there screaming melodramatically in slow motion because he was out of bullets and he was trying to he was trying to shoot himself and he was out of bullets you know so yeah he he did not do his his proper due diligence beforehand so okay there's three of us and we all need to die can i do this oh two bullets hmm no didn't no didn't even do that Uh, there there was there was there was uh five of them in that car there was two old people in the back seat and there was Angela from the, Walking Dale, Dead, from the Walking Andrea Dead, Andrea from the Walking Dead sitting beside him, and then the kid, you know, and he only had four bullets. So, uh, but yeah, I like I like that movie, and uh, I like that the ending was completely unexpected. Even if you had read the story, you didn't know that was going to happen. You but know? I thought that was the cheesiest ending. That's, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. I thought the ending of the story was ten times better. Oh, I always I love having Chris on because he always disagrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> You're the new skip, yeah. I'm, or I'm the same old Chris, whichever I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, since, since we were talking about eleven twenty two sixty three, and we were talking about James Franco in it, and about him being just you know a, a, a block of uh, James Franco colored wood as usual, um, <laughs> and it just got me thinking: Would it have made the series more enjoyable for you, Chris, if he had? If he had played the entire thing, 
as his portrayal of Tommy Wiseau from Disaster Island. <laughs> I, you got the wrong guy. I've never seen the room, have no desire to see the room. And um, yeah. You don't need to see I the room. Imagine, you you I, do need to see the I Disaster Island. So. I, I, I can't imagine that the series could have been any worse. So Sure. <laughs> That thing, Scott. Sure. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna save Kennedy. Yeah, I'm gonna do. We're gonna do that. We're gonna save. <laughs> oh hi, Jake. <laughs> oh hi. <laughs> oh hi, Jackie. <laughs> oh hi, Jackie. <laughs> You're so funny, no, Mark. <laughs> I'm going to save the president. You have no idea. What a story, Mark. <laughs> uh, now, before we end, I do want to name off. I've got this list of to be announced. This is stuff that they have not made yet, or they're making some of it's on hold because of you know the quarantine and things. But f- f- what? Oh, yeah, <laughs> because of 2020, uh, Hulu is going to have the Eyes of the Dragon, which was uh, King's fantasy story that he did. It was basically sword and sorcery and dragons and stuff. So. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be a movie or a series. I'm guessing it'll probably be a series. Um, the Institute to be announced, and it, don't they don't even have a network on here. That's a King novel that's come out in the last. Uh, let's see, that came out in. It came out last September, so it's fairly new. I haven't read it. Uh, Joyland, Liza's story, Sleeping Beauties. Sleeping Beauties was a book that he wrote with his son. It's so, Owen, right? Yes, yeah, Stephen, Stephen and Owen King writing together. Did anyone read that? I started it. I haven't finished it. But I have been, Owen, been reading it off and on. It's is a, Owen as good a writer as Joe Hill? Because I think Joe Hill is a really, really good writer. It's, so far, it reads as Stephen King. I mean, I, uh, I, haven't, I haven't noticed yeah. any difference in his normal writing style. So, I don't know if... If they just kind of collaborated on the story, and then Stephen is actually the one doing the writing, or or, or what? But, um, and then the stand is supposed to be coming to CBS All Access. Uh, Could you you can hear my eyes roll? <laughs> <laughs> based on the 1978 novel of the same name, uh, and and then a spinoff series of The Shining called Overlook. Uh. Is that is that the prequel that they announced so so long ago? It, it says it's an American supernatural horror. When no, that's just The Shining. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. That's all it says. It's just a spinoff series based on The Shining. It's going to be on HBO Max. Uh, they announced they announced the prequel series way back when Stephen King announced that he was writing Doctor Sleep, so that they were they were going to have um, a sequel and a prequel. At the same, and he had nothing to do with the Overlook prequel. It was just them cashing in on the IP. I guess they still had the rights to using some of those ideas or something. Stephen King, uh, the the uh, Doctor Sleep was an interesting was an interesting yeah. film. The way they did it because some I interesting mean, choices there. Yeah. yeah, because they wanted to. It was a it was a sequel. It was a a, a, a adaptation of a book, but also a, a sequel to a movie at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know they. When they went to the Overlook, they used all the style choices to be reminiscent of the film more than, you know, more than the book. They even had a guy that was supposed to look like Jack Nicholson (laughs) as the ghost of... uh, A different version of Scatman Crothers, the new and improved (laughs) Scatman Crothers. Yeah. 
Brandon says that he got about halfway through eleven twenty two sixty three, but got bored with it. I, 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 Brandon, maybe we can talk about this offline. I'd just be curious to know where you sort of jumped off and why. Anyway, yeah, because yeah, it was what nine episodes. It was nine episodes. I never found the. I never found it lagging. I thought it was doing okay. Uh, I wonder if he means the book or the series. I think he's talking about the series. Okay, but um. The series, I can see why you would do it after the third episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Joe, let everybody know where they can find you. Uh, right uh, on, on my on my name tag right there on the thing, uh, you can find uh, a lot of the uh, geek stuff that I do on Instagram and on Twitter at Classic Track and Facebook.com slash groups slash American Sci-Fi Classics is my gaggle of people who do videos like these in lieu of real live action conventions, which is where we had been for the last few years. But um, in live action, I'm at DragonCon in a couple of months. But if and when that doesn't happen, I'll be right here doing doing more of these. <laughs> and um, so, so there you have it. All right, Chris? Um, you can hit me up on the Twitters at the flip side, which is right there in the bottom of the screen. But I go on Twitter about once every six to eight weeks. So it's probably better to find me on my website at uh, com. And you can always hear me, Matt and Allison, going on and on about all things Quantum Leap on the Quantum Leap podcast. And if you're a Stephen King 112263 fan... We will be debuting the Oswald, Lee Harvey Oswald episode, July 15th, if everything stays on track. All right, Scott. Well, before I move on to my stuff, I just want to remind everyone that's listening, if you do like Quantum Leap in any in any capacity, and if you're not already listening to Chris's show, get on that, because you're <laughs> oh, missing out. You. I had been... Uh, well behind on on my viewing. It's been a while since I'd seen a lot of stuff, and I decided rather than trying to catch up to you guys, I just jumped into season four and started watching with the first three seasons uh, just left behind. And I'm glad that I didn't wait because I'm I'm loving watching one episode, and then the next day I listen to uh, your guys' episode about it. And it's, oh, it's always fantastic. These guys are great. Listen, thank you so much. Um, as as for me. Uh, not quite as great, but you can still listen to me if you want to on the Prime Direction, my show right here on the Cosmic Potato Network. Um, you can find that show on Facebook at uh, the Prime Direction Facebook group or on Twitter at Prime Direct Pod. And if you want stuff for your eyes rather than your ears, then you can check out some of my freelance graphic artwork um, that can be seen on Twitter at Planet Rise, or you can visit my website www.planetrisecreative.com. Can I do a quid pro quo? Scott made us our new logo, and it's fantastic, and everybody loves it. And if I could, I would have put it as my background, but I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Thanks. I've act- I've I-, I took the liberty of plugging your new logo as my work in some of the shows that we've done for the Good. con this weekend. So, good. All right, and that's uh, that's going down. I'm going to end the broadcast now. Thank you for joining us. You can contact us by joining our Facebook group, following us on Twitter, or sending an email to CosmicPotatoPod at gmail.com. You can find all our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and at CosmicPotatoNetwork.com. 
Be sure to join us again next time on Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast.